August 29, 2021. Summer on the Mount. Week 8 Comeback Story. I love a good comeback story. I'm kind of a sucker for a good comeback story. There's nothing like when somebody has been down and out or been counted out or been passed over and you get to watch them claw their way back or climb their way back or through one turn or another find their way back. I love a good comeback story. And there's been a lot of comeback stories over the last year and a half, a lot of setback stories. We've had kind of a mixed bag over the last year and a half with everything, all the tumult going on in our world. And pray for the people of Louisiana as they're getting ready for another hurricane to make landfall. Uh, what, a, what a terrible time for the folks in Louisiana. But one comeback story that you may or may not have heard about in the last year and a half is that in 2020, more people, for the first time since 1986, for the first time in, in 34 years, vinyl records became the number one f- uh, physical form of music, buying music, for the first time since 1986. Uh, in fact, during Christmas week, during the leak leading up to Christmas in 2020, nearly 2 million vinyl records were sold, setting an all-time record. This is not just a situation where people are continuing to buy vinyl. More people are buying vinyl now than have ever bought vinyl, ever before, at any point in the 60s, 70s, or 80s even. For the first time in 34 years, it's the top-selling physical form of music. And in fact, in 2021, we're seeing that the sales of vinyl records has nearly doubled what the sales of vinyl was in 2020. I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of an incredible turnaround. Believe it or not, at a time when you can access a seemingly limitless a catalog of music with, at a high quality, at the touch of a button on your phone, some people prefer the inconvenience and expense of vinyl. They tell me it's, uh, it's the reduced sound quality that really hooks them, is what they tell me. But uh, it's an incredible comeback story. I don't, however you slice it, who could have anticipated it? And I think it's kind of a parable of our times that we're living in this time when up is down and things are turned around and there are incredible setback stories that you never could have expected and comeback stories that you likewise could never have expected. In the same way that there have been a lot of comebacks in the last year and a half, a lot of us have had our priorities reevaluated. The circumstances, the situations that we're in have caused a lot of us over the last year and a half to say, I thought I knew it was important, but now I've seen it in a new light. And a lot of people have made a lot of changes in their lives as a result of this. And, and many of you have come to Christ through this time because you've recognized that how the, the fragility of life and how tender things are. And we've just seen our, all of our priorities be put in proper perspective. We're nearing the end of our journey with the Summer on the Mount. We've been spending the summer, the last eight weeks, walking through the Sermon on the Mount, the core of Jesus' teaching. And towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way that the last year and a half have caused us to reevaluate our priorities, the Sermon on the Mount has consistently, for 2,000 years, forced people to look at their lives differently, to reevaluate our priorities. And towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says we're at a fork in the road. We've come to a point in the story and a point in our lives where we have to choose which way we're going to go. And he lays out the groundwork for a comeback story for us, for how we can have our own comeback story in the midst of setbacks and disappointments and heartaches. And we're going to look this morning to help unpack what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph is one of the all-time great comeback stories And we're going to look at his life as a way of unpacking what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. We see this first in Genesis chapter 42, beginning verse 3, where it says, Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come on them. So Israel's sons were among those who who went to buy grain, for, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land and the person who sold grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, 
they bow down to him with their faces on the ground. So Joseph, at this point in the story, we're kind of catching this story already in progress. And at this point in the story, it's, it's really significant that Joseph's brothers, all of them except for one, have come back to get food for him, food from him because of the famine that's in the land. And it's significant because of the story that Joseph has had up to this point. Joseph was the favorite son. His father, Jacob, had many children, many children, unfortunately, by many wives. And uh, he had married, he, had, he was a polygamist, and so he had a lot of different wives. And his favorite wife was Joseph's mother. And he was not very bashful about his favoritism. For those families who are dedicating children this morning, this morning, we don't encourage you to show favorites among your children. Though many parents will confess to having favorites, you shouldn't make that quite so obvious. And in Joseph's case, his father made it very obvious. He even gave him what they call the coat of many colors, this elaborate coat that just kind of rubbed it in the noses of his other brothers that Joseph was the favorite. This code has been depicted uh, many different ways. In fact, there's a musical made Broadway, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and in a 2017 performance of this in London, this is how they depicted the coat of many colors. I think they may have exaggerated a little bit, but uh, you, you get the point there. So then after his time as the favored son, as the favorite son and the, the undisputed favorite of his dad, his brothers have had enough and they take that coat of many colors and they smear it with animal blood and they show it to his dad as evidence that Joseph has been, Joseph has been killed by some wild animal. And originally they're gonna just kill Joseph. They just wanna knock him off. And they say, why kill him when we can make some money off this deal? Which is just so sinister and sick and evil. And his brothers end up killing, uh, did not end up, they, they abandon the plan to kill Joseph. They throw him in a cistern. They sell him into slavery. And he finds himself now going from the favored son to now being betrayed by his brothers, abandoned, thought dead by his father. And after a period of time in slavery, he even gets thrown in jail after facing some false accusations. And he spends at least two years rotting in a prison cell. And you can imagine the tears he must have cried and the heartache he must have had and the, the prayers he must have tried to pray, to muster up to pray there in a prison cell as a slave after being betrayed and abandoned by his brothers. And then through another turn of events, he's seen as being trustworthy and having keen insight. And God raises him up to being the second most powerful person in Egypt. So he goes, this dramatic story from being the favored son, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, in prison. And now he's raised up from literally from prison to the penthouse, from prison to the prime minister of Egypt. It's an incredible comeback story. And some of you are at different points along that journey right now. Some of you, no doubt, hey, life is good. You can't imagine it ever going bad. Others of you, you're in so deep, you're in the middle of the mess, you can't ever imagine it getting light again. How does it, how do I ever get out of this? There doesn't seem to be any hope. And others of you, you're back on top, you've, you've been through the valley and you know how sweet it is to be back on the mountaintop because of how dark the valley is. Heard a story this summer from Bill's training camp that I think transcends sports, transcends Western New York. You don't have to love the Bills or blue cheese to appreciate the story, but it sure helps. And Coach Brian Dable, our offensive coordinator, had the whole offensive staff, all the coaches, all the personnel, all the, all the players gathered in the room. And he had them all stand up. Everybody stand up. He said, not you, but them. He said, everybody stand up. And he said, coaches, how many of you, if, if you've ever been fired, sit down. And every coach sat down. Every coach sat down. And they said, okay, players, if you've ever been released or traded by a team, sit down. And a bunch of players sat down. He said, players, if you weren't picked in the first round, meaning if that every team had a chance to pick you and they chose not to, uh, they passed over you at least once, if you weren't picked in the first round, sit down. 
At this point, going from all the coaches and all the players standing in the room, now there's only one person left standing in the room. Only one person wasn't eliminated from this contest by one of those categories. QB1, number 17, darling of Western New York right now, God bless Josh Allen. <laughs> and you just think about, think about how significant this team with all the hopes, I mean, making it to the AFC Championship last year and whatever this year, man, a little pastoral advice, enjoy this season, whatever this season has, let's just enjoy it after the 20 years of the drought and all the pain and suffering you've had as Bills fans, just enjoy it. It's so much fun right now. Enjoy the ride. And whatever the season holds, to think about this team loaded with talent, with all the high hopes and with, with the way that they're being projected, that so many in that room, just one person in that room was eliminated by one of those categories. And then Coach Dable had an ace card. He said, okay, Josh, the only person standing left in the room. He said, how many football scholarships did you get offered coming out of high school? And Josh said, none. And then Dable said, let's remember where we came from. Let's remember where we came from. And if I had each of you stand up today and say, okay, sit down if you've ever gotten a cancer diagnosis or if you've ever lost a loved one, if you've ever been dumped or been served papers, if you've ever been laid off or fired or passed over for the promotion, and we could go through a, a, a list of, of types of pain and heartache, and if we looked around the room by the time we got done with those questions, I'm pretty sure we'd find that there's nobody left standing in the room. We're the fellowship of the broken heart. We are the fellowship of people who've been through the peak and the valley. And when Joseph would be asked that question, remember where you came from, I can almost hear Joseph say, oh, I remember where I came from and they're right in front of me right now. My brothers, those lousy, no good brothers who faked my death and sold me into slavery. Do I remember where I came from? I remember where I came from. And so now we have this moment where Joseph is confronted with his brothers once again. And in verse seven, we find out what Joseph does. It says in verse seven, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And so Joseph now is, as I said, the, the, like the governor of Egypt, the second in charge, the only person more powerful in Egypt at this point is Pharaoh himself, and he's delegated all of his authority to Joseph. Joseph has all the power, and you can just imagine, as a younger brother, you can imagine how fun this would be to have these brothers who've mistreated you find their way back to you, and the person that they most need help from is you. And so Joseph has all the cards, and somehow, in the mystery of this moment, they don't realize it's him. Of course, they would never be looking for Joseph here. This is the last person they'd expect to find as the decision maker in Egypt after all this time. And so Joseph has this decision make. Suddenly Joseph, Joseph is at a fork in the road. What will he do? Will he open the floodgates of his rage and vengeance? Will he punish them for what they did to him? Will he send them packing with nothing? We don't know yet what Joseph is going to do. A lot of times in this story, we assume that Joseph has good intentions, but it's not clear from the passage. One thing we know for sure is that in the very beginning of this passage, uh, Jacob, Joseph's father, kept Benjamin back because Benjamin is the only brother of this group of brothers who's a full brother. All these other brothers are half-brothers, but Benjamin is Joseph's full brother. And when Joseph was out of the picture, Jacob began to protect Benjamin because now he, he's become the, the favorite son and he's all this love he had for Joseph, now he's protecting Benjamin with this love. And Joseph finds out about this, sends the brothers back. Don't You're not getting any food until you bring... Benjamin back to me. Now Benjamin comes back and the brothers are all there and, and Jacob is laser focused on Benjamin. We're not entirely sure why exactly he's focused on Benjamin. 
Is his plan to, to keep Benjamin there and the two of them as brothers enjoy the, live high in the hog in Egypt? Or is his plan to punish Benjamin? Or is his plan to punish the brothers? But we know in this, in this scene how this unfolds. Uh, Joseph has them all, fills up all their bags with food, fills them all top to the, to the brim with food. But in, Joseph, in Benjamin's bag, he has his servant put a silver cup in the bag to hide a silver cup in the bag. And then he sends them on their way, sends them back home to their father, Jacob. And no sooner are they out of the door that, that Jacob sends somebody out after them to check their bags and inspect their bags. And they open up the bag and sure enough, there is the silver cup in Benjamin's bag and everybody just, their jaws drop and they just can't believe what's happened. You can almost imagine between brothers, what were you thinking? Why, why would you try to steal from, the, from Pharaoh? Why would you try to steal from Egypt? What are you thinking? And Benjamin's like, I don't even know how this got out. You know, the way the brothers do. I don't know how this got in here. What's the matter here? And, and the brothers are just like, the white is sheets at this point, and they're mortified, and they're dragged back in front of Joseph. And, and there in this moment, Joseph makes clear what the verdict is. You all can go, Benjamin stays. And you can just imagine, after Jacob was not willing that Benjamin, of all the brothers, would come, now Joseph is saying, this is like the worst case scenario. Benjamin has to stay, and who knows what's going to happen to them, to him there in the land. Joseph hasn't made it absolutely clear what he's going to do here yet, but it's clear that he's setting up this trap for Benjamin. And now we've got to wonder, will Joseph give himself over to rage? Will he give himself over to malice? Will he release all the, the, the pent-up aggression and the hurt and the animosity that he's felt towards these brothers all this time? Will he over Open up the floodgates now and let them have it. Will he punish Benjamin as a scapegoat for what was done to him? But there, just in that moment, if you can picture this as, as a story being filmed, our focus is on Joseph, our focus is on Benjamin and his life hanging in the balance. But just then, the focus shifts to Judah, one of the brothers who's there in the room. And if, if you kind of picture this as the camera kind of zooming in on his face, you could see without a word all of those years of regret all of those years of laying awake at night wondering whatever became of Joseph, the pain of seeing his father's tears over losing Joseph, and all the second guessing, I should have done, I can't believe we did that to Joseph. I can't believe we did that to our brother. And all of this pain that he's been carrying around for these years, all this regret, it bubbles up to the surface. And as Joseph is saying, Benjamin stays, you all go, Joseph speaks up and says, no, not again. I will not make the second mistake twice. Take me instead. Take me, whatever punishment is due to him, take me, I'll take it. Put it on me, I'll pay the bill. I will not make the same mistake again. I betrayed a brother once, I will not betray a brother a second time. Put it on me instead. And at the end of the section, the end of chapter 44, it says this. Now then, ben, uh, Judah speaking. Now then, please let your servant, me Judah, let me remain here as your slave, as my Lord's slave, as Joseph's slave, uh, in place of Benjamin the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, no. Do not let me see the misery that this would come on, that would come on my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence, he said. And so now there was no one with Joseph as he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. In this moment, we've thought that this is a Joseph comeback story, but it's a Judah comeback story. This is Judah's second chance. And Judah, in this moment, has no reason to believe that Benjamin is not a thief. He has every, all the evidence points that Benjamin deserves what he's about to get. But he says, 
no, I've been here before. I will not make the same mistake a second time. Put it on me. I'll pay the price. He's laying down his life to protect his brother. And here Judah becomes the first person ever recorded in the Bible who offers to lay down their life for the sake of another. The first person to ever offer to take the penalty that was due to another person. John Orberg says that in the ancient world, the rabbis had a saying that full repentance was shown when a person was presented with a situation in which they had sinned previously, in which they had fallen before, only this time they do not sin. He says that the rabbis used to use Judah as their example of what this looked like. Somebody who was presented with the same opportunity a second time and got it right the second time. This is Judah's second chance. It's his comeback story. And whatever Joseph had in mind, whatever Joseph was going to do, whatever his plan was for his brothers, whether it was revenge or malice or rage or imprisonment, he's undone. When he sees his brother Judah offer to take the place of his brother Benjamin, to offer to bear the penalty, he comes unglued. He sends out all of his servants and he weeps openly. It's like an episode of Scooby-Doo. He reveals his identity. And in that moment, everyone realizes who he is. And he says, it's okay, it's okay, all is well. All shall be well, all shall be well. And all manners of thing, all manner of things shall be well. Bring dad home. Our God is a God of comeback stories. Our God is a God of comeback stories and second chances. Judah was the first person to ever offer to lay down his life for the sake of another, but he was not the last. And it's interesting, when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus did not come from the line of Joseph. Jesus did not come from the line of Benjamin. Jesus came down through the line of Judah. And it was down through the line, through the ancestry of Judah, that one day Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, would die on a cross in Calvary saying, put it on me. The penalty that was due to them, put it on me. I will pay it. I will pay it. Just like his forefather Judah did. Joseph experienced such deep pain and anguish. Joseph, going from the favored son to being a slave in prison, had experienced all that pain and anguish, but yet God raised him back up again, raised him from squalor and poverty and destitution, raised him from the prison to the penthouse, not because of who Joseph was, but because of who God is, because our God is a God of second chances, and our God is a God of comeback stories. Judah slept every night with that weight of his guilt hanging on him, every night thinking about what he had done to Joseph, dealing with the agony of that, seeing the tears running down his father's face. And in this critical moment, when he had the chance to make the same mistake a second time, he said, whatever the price is, whatever it will mean for me, I know I'm walking into an uncertain future, but I will pay the price. And God turned things around, not only in his life, not only in the life of his family, but changed the, the course of human history by sowing salvation's story into his genealogy until one day Jesus would come and pay the price for all of us because our God is a God of second chances and our God is a God of comeback stories. And Joseph, when Joseph had this moment, when he had all the power and and could get all of his vengeance, all the things he had fantasized about, all the ways he had thought, this is how I'll get my brothers back. If I ever see those guys again, here's what I'll do. In that moment when he had the chance, he saw that God was up to something bigger than his pain. God was up to bigger, something bigger than his suffering. And he said in his own words that he could see that what was meant for evil, God had intended for good because our God is a God of comeback stories and of second chances. And you, wherever you are, whatever your story is, whatever pain you've brought onto yourself, whatever pain somebody has brought into your life, whatever you regret, whatever your suffering is, wherever your heart aches, our God is a God of second chances, our God is a God of comeback stories. And many years later, Jesus would describe it this way in Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gates, 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And few find it. The narrow road is the second path, is the second chance. The broad road is just the way we always go. It's the common way. It's broad because that's the way everybody goes. And the narrow path is the path of the second chance. Joseph got a second chance. Judah got a second chance. Thank God I got a second chance. And we are people of the second chance. If I, I won't do it, but if I asked all of you to stand up and tell a story about how a second chance turned your life around. So many of the best stories of my life come after the second chance. Judah, if his story ended after just his first chance, what a miserable, terrible story it would be. But what a beautiful story came out of his second chance and Joseph's second chance. And it could be for you too. One of the things that's fun about vinyl coming back is digital music streaming services can't have a B-side. Vinyl, one of the things with vinyl is, uh, you know, this isn't a 45, but you get a 45, which is a single, and you put one song, and they'd release a single, and, and you could go out and buy just that song, and you'd have the, the, the single, you know, the top song, that song everybody wants on one side of the record. But then there's the second side, and record companies and bands would say, what do we do on the second side? And Sometimes they just throw another song from the album on there, or sometimes there'd be a song that they tried, but it didn't even make it on the album, so they just kind of throw it on the B-side just to see what would happen. And I'm just old enough to remember having some 45s, and I remember times getting a 45 and, and putting that on and, and listening to the, the song that you really wanted to get, and, uh, and then you'd be excited and the song's over, let's flip it over, see how it's on the B-side, and start it and say, nope, let's put that back over there, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> but every once in a while, every once in a while, a song in the B-side would outperform the song in the A-side. This happened to Elvis, this happened to the Beatles. In fact, there's one song that was a B-side song that I don't even need to sing a note, I don't need to say a word, I don't even need to strum a chord for you to recognize this song. We Will Rock You was a B-side song. It was so unique, it was so odd, they thought, you know, let's just throw this on the B-side. And it went on to become one of the most recognizable songs in music history. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. God is an artist. God is an artist of the human soul. And he releases most of his best music on the B-side. The best harmonies, the best tunes, the best song of your life will not come probably on the A-side. Most of his best work is done on the B-side of life. God's greatest work in Joseph's life came on the B-side of his life. God's greatest work in Judah's life came on the B-side of his life. God's greatest work in my life has come on the B side of my life. And the same can be true of you. Here's what I wanna ask you this morning. Some of you, you know, you've got a, an area in your life where you've got a second chance and not everybody gets a second chance. Not everybody gets that. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. Maybe it's, you look at your whole life and the whole thing and say, boy, there's, when Jesus says there's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death, you know you're on a way that is dark. And it's time to turn around at that fork in the road and come back. Others of you, it's just this little corner of your life. You've been walking with Jesus, you trust the Lord, but there's this little area of your life where you're making a mess of things. 
and you need to come to the fork in the road and get a second chance. Our God is a God of second chances and of comeback stories, and he does his greatest work on the B side of our life. So let's go to him right now. Oh God, I thank you for the folks gathered here this morning. I thank you that you are a God of the B side. You are a God of second chances. And in whatever circumstance people are facing this morning, whatever big or small, uh, we thank you for the, the hope and the life that is available in you. We thank you that you are a God. You are a Savior who came and laid down your life in our place. We know the darkness that many of the paths in our lives have taken us down. And we ask you now, by your spirit. Thank you for the second chance. Thank you for this opportunity. Make something great out of this second chance in my life, Lord. I place my life into your hands. I place my hopes and my dreams and my desire and my will into your hands and ask that you would make something special and beautiful holy out of the B side of my life. Not because of who I am, but because you are a God of second chances. Because you are a God of comebacks. I ask this in your name and for your sake and because I have no place else to voices again and so